Part three of the highest treason. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The highest treason by Randall Garrett. Part three. The escape. Are you sure you understand, Tallis? McMaine asked in Karothic. The alien general nodded emphatically. Perfectly. Your Karothic is not so bad that I could misunderstand your instructions. I still don't understand why you are doing this. Oh, I know the reasons you've given me, but I don't completely believe them. However, I'll go along with you. The worst that could happen would be for me to be killed, and I would sooner face death in trying to escape than in waiting for your executioners. If this is some sort of trap, some sort of weird way your race's twisted idea of kindness has evolved to dispose of me, then I'll accept your sentence. It's better than starving to death, or facing a firing squad. Not a firing squad, McMain said. That wouldn't be kind. An odorless but quite deadly gas would be pumped into this cell while you slept. That's worse. When death comes, I want to face it and fight it off as long as possible, not have it sneaking up on me in my sleep. I think I'd rather starve. You would, said McMain. The food that was captured with you has nearly run out, and we haven't been able to capture any more. But rather than let you suffer, they would have killed you painlessly. He glanced at the watch on his instrument cuff. Almost time. McMain looked the alien over once more. Tallis was dressed in the uniform of Earth's Space Force, and the insignia of a full general gleamed on his collar. His face and hands had been sprayed with an opaque, pink-tan film, and his hairless head was covered with a black wig. He wouldn't pass a close inspection, but McMain fervently hoped that he wouldn't need to. Think it out, be sure you're right, then go ahead. Sebastian McMain had done just that. For three months he had worked over the details of his plan, making sure that they were as perfect as he was capable of making them. Even so, there was a great deal of risk involved, and there were too many details that required luck for McMain to be perfectly happy about the plan. But time was running out. As the general's food supply dwindled, his execution date neared, and now it was only two days away. There was no point in waiting until the last minute. It was now or never. There were no spying TV cameras in the general's cell, no hidden microphones to report and record what went on. No one had ever escaped from the Space Force's prison, therefore no one ever would. McMain glanced again at his watch. It was time. He reached inside his blouse and took out a fully loaded handgun. For an instant the alien officer's eyes widened, and he stiffened as if he were ready to die in an attempt to disarm the Earthman. Then he saw that McMain wasn't holding it by the butt. His hand was clasped around the middle of the weapon. "'This is a chance I have to take,' McMain said evenly. "'With this gun you can shoot me down right here and try to escape alone. I've told you every detail of our course of action, and with luck you might make it alone.' He held out his hand with the weapon resting on his open palm. General Tallis eyed the Earthman for a long second. Then, without haste, he took the gun and inspected it with a professional eye. "'Do you know how to operate it?' McMain asked, forcing calmness into his voice. "'Yes, we've captured plenty of them. 
Tallis thumbed the stud that allowed the magazine to slide out of the button into his hand. Then he checked the mechanism and the power cartridges. Finally, he replaced the magazine and put the weapon into the empty sleeve holster that McMain had given him. McMain let his breath out slowly. All right, he said. Let's go. He opened the door of the cell and both men stepped out into the corridor. At the far end of the corridor, some thirty yards away, stood the two armed guards who kept watch over the prisoner. At that distance, it was impossible to tell that Tallis was not what he appeared to be. The guard had been changed while McMain was in the prisoner's cell, and he was relying on the lax discipline of the soldiers to get him and Tallis out of the cell block. With luck, the guards would have failed to listen too closely to what they had been told by the men they replaced. With even greater luck, the previous guardsmen would have failed to be too explicit about who was in the prisoner's cell. With no luck at all, McMain would be forced to shoot to kill. McMain walked casually up to the two men who came to an easy attention. I want you two men to come with me. Something odd has happened, and General Quimby and I want two witnesses as to what went on. What happened, sir? one of them asked. Don't know for sure. McMain said in a puzzled voice. But General and I were talking to the prisoner when all of a sudden he fell over. I think he's dead. I couldn't find a heartbeat. I want you to take a look at him so that you can testify that we didn't shoot him or anything. Obediently, the two guards headed for the cell, and McMain fell in behind them. You couldn't have shot him, sir, said the second guard confidently. We would have heard the shot. Besides, said the other, it don't matter much. He was going to be gassed day after tomorrow. As the trio approached the cell, Tallis pulled the door open a little wider, and in doing so contrived to put himself behind it so that his face couldn't be seen. The young guards weren't too awed by a full general. After all, they'd be generals themselves some day. They were much more interested in seeing the dead alien. As the guards reached the cell door, McMain unholstered his pistol from his sleeve and brought it down hard on the head of the nearest youth. At the same time, Tallis stepped from behind the door and clouded the other. Quickly, McMain disarmed the fallen men and dragged them into the open cell. He came out again and locked the door securely. Their guns were tossed into an empty cell nearby. They won't be missed until the next change of watch in four hours, McMain said. By then it won't matter one way or another. Getting out of the huge building that housed the administrative offices of the Space Force was relatively easy. A lift chute brought the pair to the main floor, and, this late in the evening, there weren't many people on that floor. The officers and men who had night duty were working on the upper floors. Several times Tallis had to take a handkerchief from his pocket and pretend to blow his nose in order to conceal his alien features from someone who came too close, but no one appeared to notice anything out of the ordinary. As they walked out boldly through the main door fifteen minutes later, the guards merely came to attention and relaxed as a tall colonel and a somewhat shorter general strode out. The general appeared to be having a fit of sneezing, and the colonel was heard to say, "'That's quite a cold you picked up, sir.' Better get over to the dispensary and pick up an anti-coriza shot. Hmm, said the general. <coughs> Getting to the spaceport was no problem at all. McMain had an official car waiting, and the two sergeants in the front seat didn't pay any attention to the general getting in the back seat, because Colonel McMain was talking to them. 
"'We're ready to roll, Sergeant,' he said to the driver. "'General Quimby wants to go straight to the Manila, so let's get there as fast as possible. Takeoff is scheduled in ten minutes.' Then he got into the back seat himself. The one-way glass partition that separated the back seat from the front prevented either of the two men from looking back at their passengers. Seven minutes later, the staff car was rolling unquestioned through the main gate of Waikiki Spaceport. It was all so incredibly easy, McMain thought. Nobody questioned an official car. Nobody checked anything too closely. Nobody wanted to risk his lifelong security by doing or saying something that might be considered antisocial by a busy general. Besides, it never entered anyone's mind that there could be anything wrong. If there was a war on, apparently no one had been told about it yet. McMain thought, was I ever that stubbornly blind? Not quite, I guess, or I'd never have seen what is happening. But he knew he hadn't been too much more perceptive than those around him. Even to an intelligent man, the mask of stupidity can become a barrier to the outside world, as well as a concealment from it. The interstellar ship Manila was a small, fast, ten-man blaster boat designed to get into the thick of a battle quickly, strike hard, and get away. Unlike the bigger, more powerful battle cruisers, she could be landed directly on any planet with less than a 2G pole at the surface. The really big babies had to be parked in an orbit and loaded by shuttle. They'd break up of their own weight if they tried to set down on anything bigger than a good-sized planetoid. As long as their anti-acceleration fields were on, they could take unimaginable thrusts along their axis, but the AA fields were the cause of those thrusts as well as the protection against them. The ships couldn't stand still while they were operating, so they were no protection at all against a planet's gravity. But a blaster boat was small enough and compact enough to take the strain. It had taken careful preparation to get the manila ready to go just exactly when McMain needed it. Papers had to be forged and put into the chain of command communication at precisely the right times. Others had had to be taken out and replaced with harmless near duplicates so that the commanding staff wouldn't discover the deception. He had had to build up the fictional identity of a General Lucius Quimby in such a way that it would take a thorough check to discover that the officer who had been put in command of the Manila was non-existent. It was two minutes until takeoff time when the staff car pulled up at the foot of the ramp that led to the main airlock of the ISS Manila. A young-looking captain was standing nervously at the foot of it, obviously afraid that his new commander might be late for the takeoff and wondering what sort of decision he would have to make if the general wasn't there at takeoff time. McMain could imagine his feelings. General Quimby developed another sneezing fit as he stepped out of the car. This was the touchiest part of McMain's plan, the weakest link in the whole chain of action. For a space of perhaps a minute, the disguised Kurothai general would have to stand so close to the young captain that the crudity of his makeup job would be detectable. He had to keep that handkerchief over his face, and yet do it in such a way that it would seem natural. As Tallis climbed out of the car, chuffing windily into the kerchief, McMain snapped an order to the sergeant behind the wheel. That's all. We're taking off almost immediately, so get that car out of here. Then he walked rapidly over to the captain who had snapped to attention. There was a definite look of relief on his face now that he knew his commander was on time. All ready for takeoff, Captain? 
Everything checked out? Ammunition? Energy packs all filled to capacity? All the crew aboard? Full rations and stores stowed away? The captain kept his eyes on McMain's face as he answered, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. To the rapid fire of questions. He had no time to shift his gaze to the face of his new CO, who was snuffling his way toward the foot of the landing ramp. McMain kept firing questions until Tallis was halfway up the ramp. Then he said, Oh, by the way, Captain, was the large package containing General Quimby's personal gear brought aboard? The big package? Yes, sir. About fifteen minutes ago. Good, said McMain. He looked up the ramp. Are there any special orders at this time, sir? he asked. No, said Tallis, without turning. Carry on, Colonel. He went on up to the airlock. It had taken Tallis hours of practice to say that phrase properly, but the training had been worth it. After Tallis was well inside the airlock, McMain whispered to the young captain, As you can see, the general has got a rather bad cold. He'll want to remain in his cabin until he's over it. See that anti-coriza shots are sent up from the dispensary as soon as we are out of the solar system. Now let's go. We have less than a minute till takeoff. McMain went up the ramp with the captain scrambling up behind him. Tallis was just stepping into the commander's cabin as the two men entered the airlock. McMain didn't see him again until the ship was twelve minutes on her way, nearly five billion miles from Earth and still accelerating. He identified himself at the door, and Tallis opened it cautiously. "'I brought your anti-coriza shot, sir,' he said. In a small ship like the Manila, the captain and the seven crew members could hear any conversation in the companionways. He stepped inside and closed the door. Then he practically collapsed on the nearest chair and had a good case of the shakes. "'So far, so good,' he said. General Tallis grasped his shoulder with a firm hand. Brace up, Sebastian, he said gently and Karothic. You've done a beautiful job. I still can't believe it, but I'll have to admit that if this is an act, it's a beautiful one. He gestured toward the small desk in one corner of the room and the big package that was sitting on it. The food is all there. I'll have to eat sparingly, but I can make it. Now, what's the rest of the plan? McMain took a deep breath, held it, and let it out slowly. His shake subsided to a faint, almost imperceptible quiver. The captain doesn't know our destination. He was told that he would receive secret instructions from you. His voice, he noticed thankfully, was almost normal. He reached into his uniform jacket and took out an official-looking sealed envelope. These are the orders. We are going out to arrange a special truce with the Karothai. What? That's what it says here. You'll have to get on the sub-radio and do some plain and fancy talking. Fortunately, not a man jack aboard this ship knows a word of your language, so they'll think you're arranging truce terms. They'll be sitting ducks when your warship pulls up alongside and sends in a boarding party. By the time they realize what has happened, it'll be too late. You're giving us the ship, too? Tallis looked at him wonderingly. And eight prisoners? Nine, said McMain. I'll hand over my sidearm to you just before your men come through the airlock. General Tallis sat down in the other small chair, his eyes still on the Earthman. I can't help but feel that this is some sort of trick, but if it is, I can't see through it. 
Why are you doing this, Sebastian? You may not understand this, Tallis, McMain said evenly, but I am fighting for freedom. The freedom to think. End of part three.